Welcome to the Back in Action Podcast. Are you a weekend warrior, a current or former high-performing athlete, or do you just have questions about what a chiropractor can do for you in a rehab setting? Here, we'll dive into the world of chiropractic and exercise rehab and how they both can be utilized to get you back in action. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Back in Action Podcast. Last week, I wasn't here. I know everyone was really sad, but don't worry, I'm back. Austin and Connor did a great job taking over. Um, Connor's not with us tonight. We won't make fun of him too much for that. Um, we do have a guest with us today. His name's Thayer. He's going to give us a brief uh, introduction about who he is and what he does. So without further ado, go ahead and take it away. Hey, I'm uh, James Thayer. First off, I appreciate you guys bringing me onto the podcast. Um, so do a couple different things in the fitness space. I'm an assistant director of fitness and health promotion at a university in Topeka, Kansas. Um, I'm one of the coaches for Prescript doing the Sunday Labs, Sunday RxD um, podcast. And um, I'm one of the co-creators of the programming course with uh, James Mack through them. And I also have my own... Um, company that I do presentations and coaching consultations through byproduct performance. Yeah, that's sick. That's awesome. You got a lot of, a lot of titles there. Uh, yeah. So I like, keep them busy. Um, like that. What is, so, so what does your, uh, typical client base look like? Like, are you, have you kind of niched down or you kind of just see everyone like in terms of like a programming, like whether it's like exercise or anything like that? Yeah. So my client base now really is a lot more catered towards coaches and trainers. Um, kind of my background came up as a typical personal trainer in a university recreation center, um, training more general population clientele coming in, faculty, staff, um, students from there, kind of expanding that to different reaches um, and still within that. And now more so with all those title changes and um, things I'm doing now, it's it's really coaching and education focus. How, um, just going into the education okay. stuff, just, this was something Austin and I kind of talked about um, before we had you on. How do you go about like educating people on the differences between training and rehab? Or is that something that you think they're both pretty like intertwined together? Um, so there's, definitely should be a separation between them and with both of you getting ready to graduate. Um, I think there, there is that big distinction from the rehabilitation side and from the training side that there needs to be an awareness of the scope of practice. Cause there are certain things that coaches and trainers are very limited in what they can do or should be doing um, in terms of rehabilitation. Whenever we look in that definition, it's more so what I advocate for is looking to developing a network um, with the physical therapist, with the chiro, with whatever, or even the doctor, whatever that network is that is helping the rehabilitation process. So knowing your scope of practice and being able to have a clear definition of what you're able to do with an individual or a client and where that network becomes beneficial and you have to refer out um, in rehabilitation. Oftentimes what I'll look at is um, it's trying to restore something. It's trying to 
Um, it's trying to bring somebody back from um, injury, from surgery, from a lack of ability that they had or trying to develop an ability that um, they've never had, but now have the potential to create that ability um, from, again, a surgery or um, something like that. In the programming course, we do have a restorative phase. Um, we kind of developed a model operating in phases that allow for themed or intention-based focus of what we're trying to be deliberate in in that training period with an individual. And so the restorative phase, at least on the coaches or trainer side, is more so what I would look to. And restorative is kind of just the terminology that we use. Sometimes you'll hear it in the training spaces, like a corrective phase or like a prehab or something like that. Um, for us, we just define it as restorative, that it's it's looking past the point that that individual is cleared by a medical professional to be able to engage in physical activity again um, with some restricting with some restrictions, depending what they're coming back from, or at the very least, they're um, the restrictions that they have are not because of a limitation of a medical invention intervention from a doctor, physical right. therapist, so chiropractor. When you see those patients that do like have some form of pain when they are lifting, is that something like you immediately rule as a red flag or is it like you're able to kind of tell like uh, functionality wise with what they're doing that like, all right, like you're just, you need to modify this or you need to kind of like change this in your form. Like, is that something that you feel like is, I'll ask it in this way. Do you think it's something that needs to be focused in on more when patients say they have pain, like looking at the form, or do you think form form really isn't the key indicator to that pain? It's something that like you need to rule up, like you need to go get it ruled out by someone else right away. Um, so couple different avenues with that um, pain. We always need to have awareness around um, it should raise red flags, but that doesn't automatically mean that, from like my side scope of practice that you can't work with the individual, but it's something that you need to be aware of. And depending on what your knowledge base, this is really where the comfortability of that coach should start coming in play. And also the availability of the network that they've developed when we're discussing pain, um, pain comes in a lot of formats. Um, it could be physical. It could have some emotional ties, could have stress ties. It could be, positional base. It could be chronic. It could be acute. So there's, there's a lot of considerations to have around pain. So it should raise up a flag that we need to be aware of, and we need to be mindful of. Um, there's always the refer out option. Um, I think the PARQ plus has done a good job in trying to be a standard form for coaches, trainers, and clinicians to be able to identify if this is outside of their scope of practice and they need to refer out and need to get some clinical intervention or a sign off, or if it is something that they're able to um, kind of work within their scope. One of the big things is, is that person physically active or not? Um, and what is the scenario around that pain? Is it something acute? For example, somebody um, that hasn't been very physically active and turned the wrong way, and now they're very restricted in, in their back because they haven't been physically active? Or is it somebody that has been physically active and did something a bit more than what they had previously done? And whenever you're meeting with them, that it's from it's from like that incident or that activity that was 
possibly a higher stimulus than what they were used to. The other aspect is like being able to determine if this pain is associated to an injury or not, because I think that's where the like a hard line can come in. If this is an injury from a coach or trainer perspective, this is where we need clinical intervention or clearance to make sure that this person is physically capable of engaging in uh, physical activity. Uh, whereas pain, again, there's a lot more dynamic to it that we need to look at and we need to consider. So going a little bit deeper from that, if we are going to work with an individual that's in pain, one of the things that we'll look at is can we identify what the irritations of that pain is? Is it certain positions? Is it certain loads? Is it um, certain are there certain outside stressors or environmental situations that we need to consider that consider that aggravates a pain or is there anything that alleviates a pain? Is there certain movements? Is there certain loadability? Is there um, certain things? So finding the aggregates, finding the alleviations to it, um, getting an idea of where their pain parameter is, it's going to be very subjective, but in that it starts a greater discussion on like what that, if we're using RPE, what that pain association is in relation to, can they call back on something from prior experience to give you an idea? Because with that, again, it's very subjective. So one person's pain and another person's pain doesn't equate to one-to-one -one. understanding that individual and what their trigger is, what their association and how they're ranking that will give you an idea of not only the current level, but going forward and working with them where you can categorize that and what limitations that might create or modifications we need to implement um, on that training session based on where that baseline is. Um, the other aspect is on the coaching training side, we don't want to work clients into, into parameters of pain. Um, an example I always do use is if somebody reaching overhead, if that's a painful position, but more at a inclined position. So let's say 180 degrees, that's a painful position, but anything below like 160, they're good. Okay, that gives us a very clear and distinct pain parameter that we can start working within that we're working under that pain threshold. We're not allowing our training to drive into painful situation, but it's not completely ignoring it. It's through lower capacities where we can start creating exposure in positions um, that, that lessen that pain or lessen the pain or don't introduce pain. And we can start building up the tolerance of the range of motion of the stability um, through those positions over the long hold, but we're not trying to create, or we're not trying to be able to produce force in a painful position. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And I like, I guess one question I have for you is because obviously we kind of see people in a different setting. Like when they come to us, they're usually like, it's because of pain. And so we spend a lot of time on like the education aspect of like maybe why that's occurring or whether it's like tissue damage, like you said, or it could be some psychological factor or like many factors. Like we know pain kind of comes from a lot of different things. Um, as like being in the training space and working with clients, uh, at least like previously, did you see any value or spend any time in that pain education area in terms of working with people or did you kind of just use it through movement and just kind of 
played around with uh, different like variability and that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, I'd say both sides of it. So definitely the education side of there are multiple multiple reasons that pain can happen. It's not always directly related to injury and just bringing some awareness and conversation around around that again staying within my scope i'm also not a psychologist so Mm -hmm. that's part of the conversation is like i'm not trying to diagnose anything i'm I'm not trying to get to deep rooted childhood trauma thing (laughs) like that but but it is it is a realistic consideration that we need to take in mind that pain is very vast and the reason that it's impacting that individual there can be a multitude of reasons there could be a lot to it so simply helping helping expand that in the education side um acknowledging the individual's pain because sometimes that's what someone needs is just somebody that hey i understand i understand you're in pain i understand you're limited but there is still hope there's a path forward we can still accomplish things we can still achieve things and work towards a goal to reduce this or get it get you in um kind of back to what you were doing in everyday life or being able to alleviate pain in a way that it whatever it is taken from you or whatever it's limited we can start reestablishing that and then on the other side of it again kind of with that pain parameter looking at okay simply is how i explained it this position hurts let's bring awareness to that if we can if we can operate throughout our day because we're limited in the time that we work together in the gym so bringing that awareness of possibly painful positions to an individual and in that awareness trying to reduce the frequency in which they find themselves in that position to create greater exposure to positions just simply out of it so if if they are seat whenever they're seated in a hip flex position if they're more forward leaning head down they're like oh my neck hurts okay Mm -hmm. well hey here's the biomechanically here's some of the things that are going on positionally this is where we can make some change if we bring in some like different position or just bring in awareness so outside of the couple of hours that we might see each other a week if you start recognizing this position and can self-correct or just be more dynamic in that static posture that's developing that's inducing pain and you're just spending less time outside of that that in itself can make grander changes or allow us to expedite the process because it's not just dependent on the gym setting but that recognition outside in everyday life how we navigate our environments and the options that are available to us i think is important in in part of that discussion um an easy one and i believe this was from um aspects of like how Stu mcgill will assess um low back pain so one of mm-hmm. them he'll go in compressive identifying like what the cause of it is i think that's a big aspect but also for any coaches trainers listening to this like don't try to put your client in pain like yeah. be knowledgeable and <laughs> they won't, how they won't you, enjoy that yeah be knowledgeable in how you're trying to introduce it but like one example he gives is pulling into your seat or pulling into the stool to see if the compressive forces aggravate it or if that is not an aggravator of pain i'll do something similar if somebody comes in even today whenever i'm doing consultations um, at the university with anyone that 
has marked or noted that they have low back pain. I'll watch how they set down in a chair and how they get out of the chair. And so simply, simply with that, if somebody is from a flexed lumbar spine flopping down into the chair and they're taking a lot of brunt force on that low back, there's an identifier for me. And by the same note, most likely what their strategy is going to be in getting out of that chair is through that flex spine. We're going to go through a momentum based movement where we're kind of just hurling ourselves out of the seat and like throwing ourselves forward, something like that. Like that is something where I can point out, I can identify, Hey, did you know you were doing this? You might not even be aware of, of that. And once we bring that awareness, that not only gives me strategies to be able to cue off of talking about how we can utilize a brace, how we can maintain a um, rib cage to pelvis relationship in that brace, how we can load into our legs. And same thing whenever we're standing, how we can brace, how we can load up the legs and use that to drive out of the chair instead of just throwing ourselves forward. Simple cues like that, because that is what's going to a lot, or that's what's going to develop consistency in different type of positions and habits and recognition that is going to less the, lessen the repeatability of where they're finding themselves in that painful position just by being aware of it and just by being more informed on, hey, this is happening if you didn't know it. Now you do. It's kind of one of those things where like if you have a tick or something and somebody like brings it to your attention mm-hmm. every single time, you're like, oh, damn it. You're like, oh, shit, I'm doing it again. <laughs> exactly. Um, something you kind of touched on briefly there was just the queuing aspect. And I, I kind of have um, a question about that just in terms of, I know I see a lot of coaches sometimes and they're constantly like over queuing their clients um, to the point where like, you know, now the client's thinking about 30 like different things in their head while the just trying to then. perform the movement. Yeah, yes. exactly. And always just pr- trying to perform like a perfect movement and like whether it's a deadlift, squat, what whatnot. Um, what's your opinion on like, the overcuing aspect and kind of allowing a little bit of room for, for variability and kind of that motor learning for that, for that client or patient. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it is, it is really something to think about in how you're delivering the information and how somebody is being able to effectively utilize that. Because if, if we do find ourselves overcuing, we're kind of losing the point. They're getting more in their head and, more than likely it's how your cueing is not effective if it's not getting the results that you're looking for. So um, as far as like on the cueing front, if it takes more than let's say three cues, it's probably too complex for that individual. Use it less so as I'm, I want to cue all these things and try to create a perfect movement because it's not, it's going Like movement efficiency is great, understanding how your body moves through space and time, but realizing even in that proficiency of movement, there's, it's not going to be exact. There's going to be minute differences rep to rep. And so we should never strive for like perfection or what's like textbook, because that doesn't look at an individual looks at, Hey, this 2d model that we're trying to create some perfection that it's in a textbook instead of understanding that individual and re- and looking at their limitations or compensation patterns. So more so in that, like I start to look at 
identifying not good and bad movements or necessarily good and bad ranges. It's more so what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And that not acceptable is what creates aggravation, what creates irritation, um, what is going to have a negative impact or be detrimental to the long-term success of this individual. So kind of setting it more so in that of like, hey, we're proficient enough. This is working within good ranges, good ranges or acceptable ranges that it's not going to create negative impacts in this session or long-term. Um, and then back to that, as far as like the over-cueing, kind of twofold that I think people should reflect on with that. First off, most of the people you're working with don't care about fitness or exercise like we do. Like this mm -hmm. is like our space. The reason that we get into the space because we enjoy the discussions and conversations and we do podcasts about it. People <laughs> you're that you're working with don't care, don't know the terms. They just want to feel better. They just want to move better. Yeah. So in that the complexity of of the queuing should speak to the individual. It shouldn't be standardized across because everybody's going to learn and adapt differently. So then outside of that, if the cues that we're giving somebody, we're not getting those results, that might be too complex. We might be poor at queuing, and this is a skill that we have to refine and be more finite in how we're addressing it or how we're creating associations so that person can better understand. So that could be our terminology. Um, the last bit that we need to assess with that is it might just like, it might simply just be, this is too complex, too high skilled of an exercise or movement at this time for that individual. And it's on us to create the modifications for it. Um, one of speaking to modifications, progressions, regressions, like with Prescript, the company I work with, um, and PSL one, one of the things that they speak to and Jordan Shallow talks about is stability being such a factor in kind of this chain of mobility, stability, strength. Mm -hmm. Why I like to look to um, stability as a progressive and regressive model, because the two tenets of that is going to be um, a deviation of um, deviation of center of mass and an expansion or a reduction of basis support. Going off of those two tenets, you can progress or regress any exercise. Yeah, Doesn't matter what it is, but it's it's kind of a quick cheat sheet to thinking, hey, if I'm cueing this person and they're not getting it, I need to adjust either with the center of mass, I need to create a shorter lever that it's easier to navigate, or I need to look at expanding the contact points or the basis support, either adding a dowel or um, lowering the position so there's not as much of an impact on um, gravitational forces that that person can stabilize against or giving them, even taking somebody like down to the ground where we have a vast expanded basis support because almost our whole body is supported in that. So looking at... Again, if the cues we're using aren't effective, we need to refine them. We need to create better association to the individual, or we need to recognize that it's too skillful of a movement at that time for the um, person to be able to execute effectively, that it needs to be reduced so we can actually get results and they can execute based on what we're trying you, to do. You achieve. sort of answered this um, question that I have a little bit in that, but maybe just elaborate it on it a little bit. Um, I want my biggest thing was with exercise progression. 
how do you, cause like, there's so many programs that'll be like, all right, four weeks, we're doing this, four weeks, we're doing this, four weeks, we're doing this, but every patient varies on, I, I guess, in terms of like how they progress throughout that training program. So how do you know when progression is warranted when making a program for someone and just a follow-up to that, can you kind of explain um, what progression actually means? Because a lot of people think it means like, okay, I'm going to add 10 pounds to whatever I was deadlifting and that's my progression. Whereas like, sometimes that's like, I feel like we put progression in a box sometimes and that's the only way we look at it. Um, so just give us your take on that too. Yeah, absolutely. That's a fantastic question. And the example you used of like that four week transitional model is one of the foundational blocks that initially had me and James McIntosh talking and led to the development of the programming course, because how we look at it, it should be individually based in how we're progressing and where, how we're driving into phases. It shouldn't be standardized by time because that doesn't account for how the individual is adapting depending on the space, like looking at your guys' space, getting ready to graduate, getting ready to go into a more clinical setting and working with clients that some are going to come in and you have these set timelines that you're supposed to operate in. Some are going to be much more skilled and they're going to be exceeding the recovery process. And so they need to progress faster because we need to utilize the potential that they're creating and not allow for under stimulation of a data adaptivity. Uh, for others, they might need that timeline. For others, they might need a slower progression. They might need more time to build resiliency or reestablish losses of range of motion or develop movement efficiency to be able to again navigate their environment. So um, kind of going off of that, that is one of the reasons that we developed the course is to not stay set in these parameters of it has to be this four week timeline has to be this, that it can expand and it can adapt based on the results that you're getting from that individual. Also that depending what that phase or what the intention that we're driving we don't need to transition time and time out to a new workout or to a completely different exercise group, because now that's a lot more variables that that individual has to try to overcome and that they have to recover around. Whereas if we're seeing progression, why would we want to move away from that and not continue to drive that and, and not continue to utilize the tool that we've seen effective results with. Um, we, we speak to like GPP that it can be a 52 week phase. It can literally take up a whole year if we're continuing to see progress. And whenever we're looking at progress, I like that you kind of pointed out a lot of times, I think this comes from the, kind of the general term used of overload progression. This is something that Prescript speaks to a little bit of maybe changing the, the mindset of overload progression where in the name it has load. And so instinctually people will go straight to, I need to add weight. It's the exact same thing whenever we're talking about mobility, strength, flexibility, any of these things, or whenever somebody's coming to you and they're like, well, I have a, you know, a weak glute. Well, 
no, your glutes, not weak. Your pelvis is just unstable. Like mm-hmm. we have an, we can't go into a full range of motion or we can't utilize it effectively because there's something else that is involved in this outside of simply, Hey, strength and weakness, because the only, the only thing we can do to resolve weakness is to create strength. And the go-to of that is okay. Well, strength means load. So we're going to add load. So instead of just falling into like that, that mindset or the pattern of overload progression, progression, and it meaning just load thinking possibly more so in the terms of like over stimulus and through that stimulus, we're trying to create adaptation. So whenever we're looking at what progression is, it's the ability to stimulate something above where it's previous um, previously was to create or force an adaptation of change. Um, so with that adaptation of change, it's looking at um it's looking at the training stimulus that we're sending. Have we been able to go through the, re- the fatigue of it? Have we been able to come back from the recovery? And now when we're introducing a new training stimulus, is it slightly above what the previous training stimulus was? That training stimulus could be load, yes, but it could also be um, less rest time. It could be that the person is has less pain. Um, It could be that they have greater range of motion. It could be that they've created a neurological adaptation and they're moving more proficient without changing reps, sets, load. They're moving better. Um, We can also look to from more of like a restorative or rehab setting. I've isolated this. Now can I create some synchronicity between one limb to the other that they're able to effectively utilize the mechanic of this or now not even touching load or reps can they put more speed to this can we put more reactivity to this where we're seeing some notable increase whenever i look at progression it can come in many forms but it's assessing from previous sessions to the current one have we have we created some so type when you, of change? So if you're going to ch- make the change more of a tempo-based thing, or like let's say we're doing deadlifts with a pause, is that something that's going to be more based mm-hmm. off of someone's already skill set that they have? Or at this rate, like this progression is happening when we almost even the playing field. And what I mean by that is like, okay, we got a beginner um, start out, and now they're ready to progress at a certain point. But even that skilled person, like are they – progressing kind of not in the same time frame, but is that progression going to look the same between a beginner and someone who's already pretty skilled in the weight room? Like in terms of like, I guess what I'm trying to ask is like with the next progression, does it have to be like, okay, you're both, let's see if we can try tempo with both of you, or is that going to be more client specific? I kind of feel like I know the answer to this question, but I just want to kind of get your gauge on it. Yeah. Yeah. So how I would look at that is a lot more client specific and in that what their goal is. So I'll kind of break that down a little bit. Not everyone needs to deadlift. A hinging mechanic is very, very important to be able to navigate life, to be able to 
you know, um, be able to decelerate, to move your center of mass back, to set down on the toilet. All these things are important. Like we need to utilize these and um, be mindful of like how we op again, operate through space and time. So as far as like the movement of hinging, that's important. The execution of that is going to be very individual specific. Does it need to be just a basic body weight hinge? Does it need to be a hip thrust? Does it need to be an RDL? Does it need to be a deadlift? So on and so forth of whatever exercise creates a hinging mechanic. And so from there, we're looking at what is the index or what is the intention that we're trying to get out of this exercise. So through the baseline of both, we're trying to create an hinge. Okay, fantastic. So whenever we look at, let's say the between an RDL and a deadlift, one, we're probably looking to create or work through greater range of motion with the deadlift. Um, we're probably also looking at driving greater load because we have a greater potential to drive load. So let's take advantage of that. Whereas like the RDL, we're lessing, we're reducing the range of motion. So it's going to be a constrained position. Um, because of that constrained position, we might have a greater ability to drive volume or build the capacity in that way. It might be more tolerable for an individual. It might um, allow them to stay in a better position, like not rounding um, through their lumbar spine. And they have a greater ability to maintain um you know, their lat tension because they're not trying to go all the way through the floor or to the floor. So all of those can be considerations. Then whenever we start to add variation to that, um, we'll just start with a tempo and pause. So through both of those, we can add the variation of it in trying to decide why are we using this? So with tempo, it, it is going to drive more, um, into more fatigue. So we're looking at, hey, are we trying to use different energy systems? Are we trying to build out an aerobic capacity for this individual because we're elongating the time? Are we trying to get some hypertrophy benefits by driving mechanical tension and metabolic stress? Um, are we, for an individual that we're trying to address maybe some some fail points or weaknesses in certain positions because they let's say they fail off of the floor in deadlifts and they're a competitive power lifter. Hey, so maybe we might work on deficits because that's going to increase the range of motion that they're having to produce force through and create longer levers that they're having to navigate. So whenever we take that constraint out, potentially they're more proficient in how they do their main movement. And then with pauses, again, with tempo, it's looking at, hey, yes, we're expanding the time and potentially because that person's person is having to slow down, we're reducing the, the acceleration through the concentric and eccentric phase. So they have potentially a greater ability to hold that position and stay within better positions or positions that aren't going to aggregate um, or irritate certain injuries or certain pain. Um, so it's just slowing it that down, just building more time. If we're looking at the pause, we've, we've assessed that that person doesn't necessarily need to slow the position of an eccentric concentric down because they can hold that position. So the pause might be looking at, Hey, it's more tension based specific to that position. Can we, are we using a lot of momentum in let's say a pause squat to bounce out of the hole? 
and you're failing because you're so reliant on that bounce. But whenever you go into it, you lose tension. So you're losing um, your core brace and it's putting you out of position. So that may be why we're focusing on that. Or back to the the elder individual that just kind of with low back pain that flops whenever they set down, that we're trying to maintain tension through this lower position. So whenever you are in the bottom of your squatting position down to a chair or to the toilet or something, you don't fall back into the reliance of just flopping, but you can actually brace all the way through. And now we're elongating the time that you're able to hold this. You won't have to use this the majority of the time, but now you have this option available to you. So you don't just fall back into right, right. old patterns. Um, yeah, that's honestly, I'm happy you brought that up too. Cause I feel like a lot of people don't understand that whole concept of it's not just trying to build like bodybuilders or anything like that. Like, a huge part of this is also functional movements for the everyday person, which is huge. Um, well, Absolutely. we are going to actually have to sign off because Austin and I are broke and we still only have the free trial of Zoom. <laughs> um, but we appreciate you being on and uh, taking the time to um, educate our viewers. And I mean, Austin and I definitely learned a lot. I got two pages full, filled with notes here. So thank you so much for being a guest for us. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I appreciate coming on. It's always great getting to talk to people that are in the dentistry that are passionate, that care and want to talk about these things. I think the more conversations that we can have in multiple spaces, it starts to expand out and kind of get different perspectives going into different areas that are sometimes segmented or siloed. Um, what I'll also say is I know that it's reduced on time. So if we need to do this I was again. Just going to say, yeah, we would love to have, to have you on again because we didn't even get through all of our questions. So, yeah, that would be awesome. No, but thanks, uh, thanks again, and for our viewers, uh, feel free to check there out on uh, Instagram. We'll be dropping his Instagram handle on our next post. So, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next time.